Hey guys, welcome to episode 29 of the JV Club. The countdown to 30, a number which means virtually nothing, except that it is an even number. Um, I am uh, hoping you guys will enjoy this episode with Cara Santa Maria. She is someone that I have gotten to know uh, through working at HuffPost Live. She's um, ridiculously smart, uh, funny, beautiful, warm, kind. She's just uh, terrific. And um, I'm sure many of you are listening to this episode uh, only because you are fans of, of Kara, but I hope that you will uh, enjoy my contribution as well because as listeners to this podcast know, I talk it up. Um, I'm chewing gum right now. I feel that that's very unprofessional, but I don't seem to be able to spit it out. So let's just get through this together. I want to give some shout outs. I'm going to race through them because there are a lot, but, uh, via email, Charlie S and Eben L via Facebook, Ken R, Miriam, Hannah W, Jason, Ben V, Chris P, Christy, Sarah F, Sarah Elizabeth. I want to thank everyone who's weighing in on guest ideas. Uh, when I posted that thing on the JV Club Facebook page about uh, guests you guys would like to see or, or formats you'd like to see on the podcast, I'm taking those seriously. In fact, a couple of you asked for Cara Santa Maria, and that inspired me to ask her. I probably would have invited her anyway, but um, I got right to it when I knew that you guys wanted me to do it. I snapped to attention. Todd M. for all of his great Nerdist uh, postings on the Elizabeth Lame episode of the Nerdist page for JV Club Overlord, Danielle, Ciara, Curtis, Brandy, Tyler, Vincent S., Steve P., Alec, and Arlo on Gray's page. Uh, Ravel, you weighed in. And then on Twitter, um, lots of great uh, and kind tweets from James M., uh, Johnny, and Christina. I think you guys are a couple, right? Um, that maybe I've met. Anyway, Harvey, um, Elizabeth, a.k.a. What Happened?, O'Neill, Manny A, then Heather said, Zach C, James with his high school sweetheart. James is with his high school sweetheart, and Elizabeth and I do not know what we're talking about because they are a delight and are happy as can be. Obviously, we were just uh, farting around when we were talking about people who were with their high school sweethearts. Adam S, Russell, Andrew L, D, Mark with a Q, Jeffrey K, Eric S, Chelsea, Chelsea every time I put out a tweet has something great to say and always uh, supports the episode releases kelly joe Bea, and uh, monocle guys thank you so much um this episode is uh it's interesting it's it's um it's weighs heavily on on two things uh one of them is our experience growing up going to the mormon church i know that i said that in the description but i just want to reiterate guys i this is a, it's a, it's a tough subject for me because, and we, we try to, you know, I, I, I respect it so much and I don't know if I'm right or wrong about whether the church is, is true or whether Catholic church is the true church or whether Judaism is onto something or Buddhism. I really don't know. I love that people, um, find joy from, uh, from and through religion and, uh, and I feel like I I have a lot of faith. You know, we don't talk about spirituality. Well, we have, I guess we have talked about spirituality a lot on the podcast. Um, Kara's an atheist. I'm an agnostic. And uh, and we do weigh in with some criticisms of the Mormon church. So if you are LDS and you listen to this podcast, or if you're a member of my family who is LDS, I am very sorry. I am being honest about my, uh, my feelings about the church, and, and I really... I hope that it doesn't come off as disrespectful. It's uh, it's just a, you know it's something that I've struggled with personally for a long time, um, and uh, I guess that's it. I uh, I I just think you guys are tops. The bee's knees, the cat's meow, and the cat's pajamas. All right, that's going to do it for me, guys. And uh, I hope to be hearing from you and returning your comments very soon. Goodbye. Now entering Nerdist.com.
I want to acknowledge right out of the gate that we are sitting in a very corporate environment. We are sitting in an office, and I am sitting in an ergonomic chair, and everybody knows this may not work for me because I already feel very official. You can laugh out loud. You can talk. I don't do like time up front sometimes, (laughs) so you can say and do whatever you want. Um, And we do have to hold the microphones up like we're doing stand-up show, even though we're not. I may have to address this because this has happened to me once before where I was at NBC interviewing Jessica St. Clair, and um, I started by sitting in a chair and immediately felt like I was so crisp and formal that I had to like change it. So I'm moving all the... I'm very unprofessional. Everybody celebrates my lack of professionalism on this podcast. So good, good. Today is no exception. I'm moving down to the floor. I can't stop myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in the chair, uh, I can't I think. stop myself. You're welcome to stay in the chair. <laughs> um, guys, I am here with uh, Kara Santa Maria. Uh, she is uh, a Huffington Post uh, aficionado in the sense that she has been here um, for some time uh, working on the science page as a senior reporter. Yeah, I'm a correspondent. You? Everyone has so many different. They're so titles strange. Here it's like I'm sure. I'm a reporter who doesn't really report. So yeah. I don't know. I I think my but official you're not title an editor either. No, so I'm not an editor. Yeah. My official title is the senior science correspondent. Senior science correspondent. Whatever the hell. But that you is. also have your own vertical. See, this is the other thing, guys. Is that the whole culture here? Or there are words like vertical that get used instead of page. <laughs> so that just means that if you click on something with a title. Uh, that you will be on a page, otherwise known as a vertical, and it's called Talk Nerdy to Me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just everywhere all at once when it comes to science and space, and because uh, you you also host stuff on on television. And mm-hmm. let's talk about some of that for a second. Yeah, and we'll get right out of the career stuff. Okay, cool, cool, good. <laughs> I just want to put it in context. So I'm like, this is what I always talk other, about in podcasts. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm on HuffPost Science, and then I have this page called Talk Nerdy to Me, which is kind of a video series twice a week, and I do, you know, different science topics, like you said, all over the board. Um, the science page covers. We kind of have our own topics that we're allowed to cover because we came after pages like green and healthy living. So most of what I cover is like hard science and it's not so much environmental. Um, like you said, space, but brain stuff, um, yeah. genetic stuff. Kind cool. of all yeah. my favorite stuff. Yeah, yeah, much. yeah. Actually, the space stuff I'm not as good at, you know, because my background's neuroscience. So whenever I do the space stuff, I'm like, yeah, I have to study. If I could tell you how many pitches I've put into the dashboard that have the word brain in them, I'm not even kidding. Like, in fact, one of the ones, maybe you'll end up doing it. We're doing one in the next couple of days called A Matter of Mind. Ooh. And I'm talking about um, just like the idea of who's in control, the idea that we think we're controlling our brains, but our brain's controlling us and the different things that can influence your thought patterns based on like i mean not to just tease out too much but the the whole thing about the parasite inside the cat feces that mm-hmm. can get into your brain and cause you to like drive recklessly and <laughs> yeah. think that you really like cats and stuff um <laughs> so i'm sure you'll if you want to you can sit in with me on that yeah that'd be fun like that. i'm a huge like radio lab addict so that's me what too. i spent all my time listening to i saw them um when they came to i think me the theater too. at ucla you were there yeah royce hall that's awesome isn't that a beautiful show it so was the one with like vision and darkness. It was yeah, darkness. Yeah, darkness. It was gorgeous. Guys, they had, I think maybe I've even talked about this on the podcast before, but they've had, uh, they had, it's such a great podcast. I don't encourage you to stop listening to my podcast and begin listening to that one, but I certainly encourage you to supplement your listening to uh, that podcast with my podcast. Um, they did a live version and they sort of really thought outside the box in terms of how to create a live experience that would be visual as well as aural. And um, and they had this dance troupe like interpreting scientific concepts about the way vision works and the, the way the retina and the cornea fo- function. and Which honestly I thought was going to be like super cheesy at I the beginning. I, and I, then, I guess I got to get ready for some interpretive dance. But then it was cool because they used props and stuff and they like became the eye and they actually did like the dance didn't take away from the story. It actually kind of made the story more visual, yeah. which was cool. And the music was great. Tao was the musician and we have her do stuff at Sketchfest in San Francisco. And we're trying to get the uh, uh, Radio Lab show together for Sketchfest because they so are comedy cool. fans too. They have Dimitri Martin open for them. and Oh yeah, he was great too. So, <laughs> yeah, so you and I have, uh, we're definitely kindred spirits in that regard, although you are much more well-versed and educated and uh, much more of an expert than any of that. I mean, I'm just sort of a 
Well, can I say that you are like a dilettante? Way funnier than me. <laughs> well, I don't even know. I don't even know what funny is anymore. I think I've just determined that funny is now, especially on what I do on HuffPost Life. Now it just seems like funny is just like, can you make fun of yourself when you mess, mess stuff up? Like, if you're good at that, you must be funny. Can I ask you, like, and maybe we can't talk about this here, I'm not sure, but how... How much are they into, like, kind of bringing comedy into HuffPost Live? Well, they are, I mean, that was something that I kind of struggled with when I first, I feel so bad for people who are going to tune into this podcast just to hear you because they've picked the wrong podcast. This is very much a conversation. So anybody who doesn't want to hear me talk. Why would anybody not want to hear you talk? They're out there. Um, But, but that's a good question. And I think what, one of the things that happened to me when I, when I first started at this job was I suddenly felt like I had to become someone else because I suddenly felt like, Oh, I need to be super, super newsy. Like I need to be very political and I am political, but that was like my personal life. And to bring that into my professional life, Suddenly I thought, oh, I've got to know everything about what's going on in the world all the time. And, you know, when we hired Alona Minkowski, who I'm sure eventually I'll have to do the podcast as well, she's amazing. But she's coming from this background where she was living in D.C. reporting on world events. And, you know, so I really kind of went down that rabbit hole of like, I've got to change everything. And. Uh, I have to say, thanks to Roy and Gabe and, you know, uh, the people at HuffPost Live, they were like, you don't, we, we know exactly who we hired. We hired you and we want you to be you. And we'd be really disappointed if you didn't stay you. So I think in that way, um, they've been really supportive. But we talk a lot about like how to make comedy work in that, in this kind of environment, because it's not straight up parody. It's not, you know, necessarily like Jon Stewart and it's not the onion. And, um, so I think, I think they probably do use kind of the more Bill Maher model just because Ariana and Bill are such good friends and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I think it's okay to sort of be wry and like be vibrant about the conversation. But, um, I try to just steer away from like jokes, like jokey jokes. Except for when you proposed to Bob Ack. That was very specific. <laughs> You're right. I did. They think they would like more stuff like that. I should think more creatively because I think they would like more stuff. That was stuff really like funny. That. Guys, I got to, I don't know if I, if you know who this is, but I got to propose to, um, what is Bob Ack's official title? So is he like NASA Mohawk guy? NASA no. Mohawk guy. That is the best way to describe him. He's like the flight director. Yeah, he's the flight curious. director. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really fun. Um, that was okay, hilarious. so let's get back to you. Let's get back to you. Ah, fine. Uh, this uh, this is a podcast where we focus a lot on what your adolescence was like and how it shaped you into who you are. So let's get uh, some housekeeping out of the way. Where were you raised? Where were you living when you were a teenager? Sure. So I um, was born and raised in Plano, Texas. It's a suburb of Dallas. Um, lived there until I basically left for college um, and only moved 45 minutes away to go to my undergrad and um, my master's and then actually kind of really left the nest to move to New York when I started a PhD that I didn't finish. (laughs) Um, So I was, yeah, I was born and raised in in Plano. And so where did you go to college? I went to um, the University of North Texas, which is in Denton. Yeah. My my ex-boyfriend went to my boyfriend that before my ex-boyfriend <laughs> two ex-boyfriends ago went to went to the university of north texas no way so and he, he's from ponder what did he study so i've been to uh music music art, of course fine art yeah he's yeah an amazing amazing painter actually and now he's a graphic designer it's 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 an incredible it's art school incredible school. music school i actually originally went there to study a vocal jazz performance i was a singer like all oh, through high school performance so weird so specific i know it's I random it. um and i ended up uh kind of switching gears after i started going there because i like hate piano <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> like, help i am so not good at playing piano um i've never been good at playing piano and that's something that they really wanted you to do you have to lot. yeah you really? have to i mean you don't have to be good but you have to take a lot of classes and you also have to take a lot of theory when you do jazz um yeah. jazz studies and I think it was one of those things, you know how there are artists that just own it and they want to know it from all angles. And then there are 
are people like me who I do not consider an artist who I love to sing. Yeah. I don't want it to be my career. I know. That's how I feel about singing also. Yeah. It's like the minute that I started studying it, I was like, I don't like this anymore because I have to do it. I couldn't agree more. And I really struggled with majoring in theater for that exact same reason. And my the way I worked around it, and which is why it's ironic I ended up doing this, is that in my mind, that was my last gasp. In my mind, I was like, I know I don't want to do this for a living. So I might as well enjoy it here in college, get a degree and then never look at it or touch it again. That's funny. I could see that, though. You know, I could see that. That's like when I was in high school, I was a cheerleader. Like, why? Really? Why? I can't wait to unpack all this. So random, right? So here's the thing is, is is Plano, because I I podcasted uh, uh, very recently, my friend Erin Gibson, who is from Houston, and she just talked about it like you know, listen, that's not necessarily who she would be now or or who she even would have been if she had been raised in, say, San Francisco or something. But the climate of Houston was like, you kind of, you are, you know, you're, there is a limited amount of choice to what the community that she was a part of. I could definitely see that. You know, I, um, interestingly, I don't think that I ever was, I was from Plano, but I wasn't of Plano. Like I, Plano is a, a kind of, upper middle class suburb of dallas do you have brothers and sisters i have a ton of siblings it's very confusing i'll explain that in a second (laughs) um but but you know it's like we can get into all of this in more detail if you want but i was raised by single mother um i lived in apartments that's like unheard of in a place like plain i mean people live in you know large mcmansions mcmansions exactly and i'm you know moving from apartment to apartment every year with my mom my sister was there for a while until she went away to college um and i had like orange hair and like i did drugs and i i didn't really fit that plano mold and i grew up in the bible belt you know and i grew up in a mormon household um have we talked about that much? We, we no, like in passing, it. I we think touched we touched on, on it. it. Um, and so, and but I, it, it didn't. None of it worked for me. You yeah. know what I mean? So you are kind of bound by, you know, where you grow up. But I think that if you're close enough to the mold, you will feel very much kind of like kept in by the borders of that mold but when the mold is like really pressing on you and it doesn't fit at all you push through it you know what I mean and so it for me I think because I grew up in such a oppressive I mean the way that I view it it was oppressive creatively oppressive creatively oppressive yeah intellectually oppressive whatever whatever the case may be and and honestly in terms of the types of people that I gravitate towards the types of people that I would eventually end up being friends with I had some great friends then, but if I look now, I don't know if they would have been the types of people that I would have chosen to be friends with. Um, in terms of like what what I considered to be oppressive, I I couldn't live like that, and so I was definitely that kid who was not gonna go with the flow. But you said you were a cheerleader. Yeah, isn't that funny? I was That's a cheerleader where I with like I pu- I put together this whole paper doll image of you based yeah. on like oh poor Kara couldn't you had to be a cheerleader <laughs> like I just turned you into this person no. and you absolutely weren't that you no, were doing absolutely everything not. that I was doing except I wasn't a cheerleader yeah I was a cheerleader who was like getting busted by my coach for like smoking cigarettes at the Starbucks around the corner and who would have to die okay I was in cheerleading and I was in this like jazz choir at the same time and for every major jazz show my um, director would like make me dye my hair back to like a normal color (laughs) because it would be like orange or blue and who bit so so i'd always have to like either bleach it or dye it black you know and and go sing and dance on stage and then go back so i definitely yeah it was a weird enough to be willing to say all right i did because the truth is for for me the choir culture was not about the culture it was about the music and the cheerleading culture was not about the culture it was about the the sport and i know that sounds stupid but anybody who has actually done it before knows that it's a pretty hardcore sport and and you know it's like i grew up when you're like in third grade you have no identity you know you're you're not like a little punk rocker in third grade so it's you grow up with a certain um group of people and you form these bonds that i think are deeper than than trend they're deeper than you know how much do we have in common you some of these friends are more like family at a certain point maybe you don't have a lot in common as you get older but you love each other um and and i grew up with this group of girls that we all became cheerleaders and we ended up all being very different but we were i mean i wasn't that good at it but a lot of the other girls were really into it um 
and and we got really close. I was the captain one year. Um, Isn't that insane? You are very likable. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and it's funny because I wasn't really. You know, I guess when you talk about popularity in school, I think that we have this idea in our heads of like the popular crowd being like the mean girls crowd. Um, and we had that. Sometimes we, it is. It, yeah. It, yeah, it can be. And we definitely had that. Um, and the funny thing is, like, I was accepted by the mean girls, but I was also accepted by like the huge science nerds who I was going to academic competitions with. So I kind of went between tribes when yeah. I was in school a little bit. What, how big is Plano and how big was your school? 5A. It was a big school. Like we, um, there's three senior high schools in Plano. Um, when I started high school, there were only two and then the third one formed. And my graduating class was like, it started out at like 2,000 people. I think by the time Ooh. you graduate, it's down to 12, 1,300, you know, because of dropout rates and stuff. But yeah. it's big. I mean, you can't know all of your classmates yeah. there. But the way that they do it, you know, it's like a bracket system. You kind of know everybody in your elementary school. Then they feed into the middle school and you get to know a lot of those people. Then they feed into high school and you kind of know some of those people. And then when you get to senior high, because they do ninth and 10th as separate from oh, 11th and 12th, okay. it's a little weird. And it, it's an open campus in 11th and 12th grade to kind of do college prep. So you really just go to class leave when you don't have class like you would leave campus to eat lunch i was always high i don't really remember <laughs> some of it are, i mean are you so did you feel academically challenged because you're obviously extremely smart did you feel like you got what you needed to out of it and you didn't have to work that hard so because you're so bright and so you could sort of like skate through or, or were you blowing off school even though you're super smart were you getting good grades goodness um i you know i was a, a huge kind of academic nerd um growing up it was the, yeah my, you just said you were doing academic competitions yeah with people. like I'm, but uh, so now i'm again i'm like so were you blowing off school and mm, going to academic no but funny thing is it changes you know it changes as you get older and so i think that my parents um put the pressure on it because they saw that in me already um and i would i would compete in i don't know if people listening if any of you are from texas holla um we would compete in things like Odyssey of the Mind and Future Problem Solvers and Math Olympiads and all of the and mock trial, all these really fun, cool things. Um, and then as you get older, you know, that was elementary school, middle school, kind of into high school. I'm still doing some of these things. By the time I hit senior high, I was over it. Like I said, I was high all the time. I was skipping class. Like I was just shy of being truant. Yeah. Um, and I made okay grades. You know, it wasn't that hard to keep my grades up, but um Actually, the funny thing is, 11th grade, I, w I, had, I quit cheerleading at the end of 10th grade before I went to senior high, which would be moving into varsity. Um, I quit cheerleading. And I said, you know, I'm not even going to try out. And all my, it was social suicide. All my friends were like, what are you talking about? And so, because I was like, I had to make a decision. I did so much with my academics that I couldn't do cheerleading and do, do choir um, because I wouldn't graduate. I wouldn't be able to get enough credits. And I was like, what, what's going to help me in college, really? Like, I'm going to be a college cheerleader? Like, what is that? Yeah. So I quit cheerleading and I decided to go the music route and throw myself into it and, and stay the academic um, course, too. And then at the end of 11th grade, I was so done. I remember, I remember doing a project in, like, a government class on the Pentagon Papers. And spending all of this time and we had to do a visual thing and so i made this like poster put a photo in the middle and just filled it i basically wrote like a 20 page essay on this poster and i failed and my um teacher was like oh it's not visual enough and maybe i remember the note said uh, on the side in red pen could have used more glitter and i just i oh i went home i cried i cried to my mother i was like i hate school i don't want to be here anymore and so we went to my guidance counselor and i said i'm dropping out like i'm not going my senior year i'm dropping out and they were like you can't you can't you're you're you know a good student i was like, i don't know what to tell you i can't be here anymore um and so i i'm very lucky they offered because i only had two credits left my senior year they offered and said i could go to the community college the local community college take a full load and make sure that, you know, two of the classes were the courses I still needed to graduate. And they gave me um, high school credit. So I actually graduated high school in 2001. But I had like a full year of college under my belt at that point. Oh, and wow. then I moved away to the University of North Texas. Okay, gotcha. I want to say quickly that I wish that the yearbook had a section for like, I wish you could have one could have used more glitter. <laughs> Most likely to succeed was blah, blah, blah. Funniest was blah, blah, blah. Could have used more glitter was Kara. And what's so funny is everybody would agree with that. Like <laughs> that girl could use more glitter. Um, I love it. And if you go back through photographs, oh, it's like mortifying. Well, get ready because you were going to have to give me a photograph <laughs> of you as a teen 
preferably more than one, especially if you have varying stages of oh, like what you look varying like. Varying stages. I'm just going to mention one that we will make Jeez. sure you get where I ha- I'm wearing a, a button down shirt that looks like a lava lamp or something. It's like so crazy. Fantastic. And my hair is like highlighter orange. Oh, I love it's it. a total raver. <laughs> I love it. Raver. Yeah, and I think I thought you were going to say you were like super because everyone knows from the podcast I was goth, so I assume I was, and I also dyed my hair orange, so I was prepared for like white face, black I, lipstick. I was hair. actually never goth, but I, after the raver thing or during the raver thing, there's like a transition where the pants were really big, you know, the raver pants, and they just got skinnier and skinnier and skinnier until they were bondage pants. And I was like very punk rock, and I had like black hair and a Betty Page haircut, okay. and and then I started getting tattoos. I and love the way all of those things can kind of blend together. Like yeah. I was, I guess I was goth, but I still wore combat boots and like dog collars, which is way more punk rock. I listened to the Sex Pistols, mm-hmm. but I was also obsessed with The Cure. And yeah, and see, and I was like really obsessed with Tool. Like Tool okay, was my favorite band anger, then. You liked so. some anger. Yeah, I mean, I listened yeah. to all my punk rock too, but like I, even to this day, I think Tool is one of my favorite bands. Yeah, they hold up. I know it's beautiful they too. It's honestly really up. beautiful music. I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah. Let's go back to uh, let's go back to the complicated conundrum that was your upbringing with your family, <laughs> your multiple siblings, and uh, your Mormonism. <gasps> all right, so see if you can follow this. All right. So I was born to my mother and my father. Uh-huh. I have an older sister who was also born to my mother and my father in Texas. Um, My parents got divorced when I was like, I don't know, seven, maybe eight. And um, when I was about nine or so, my father remarried. So up until this point, it's been, it was the four of us. Then it was kind of the three of us. We had joint custody. So we would Mm -hmm. go to my dad's on the, like every other weekend or something. Um, But then when my father remarried, we he married a woman who had with her previous husband um adopted two girls from korea and they're a year and a half younger than me twin sisters so so now i've got these two stepsisters okay so this is kind of my late adolescence that i'm growing up with biological sister two twin stepsisters but they are at my father's house so i'm only really seeing them um kind of every other weekend and a few weeks in the summer okay then I grow up, you know, I leave the house at 16 because I started college. But I was already kind of young in school and then I started college early. So it was weird. I moved out when I was 16 um, to start school, um, ended up getting my undergrad at 20. Um, and so I kind of didn't look back. But when I was around that age, I think when I was kind of graduating from college, maybe a little older, my parents decided that they, and by my parents, I mean this time my father and his wife, mm-hmm. decided that they wanted to adopt more children. So they adopted three boys that Whoa. were older boys. Um, and so now I have three brothers who I've never lived with. So okay. it's, I mean, I feel I feel like a very absent big sister, which sucks because they kind of, you know, they're in Texas. I'm in L.A. Um, I go home around Christmas, but that's about it. I try to talk to them when when I can. But they're great kids and they're like much older now. They're, I think, gosh, one of them is like 19. I think the other one's like 16, 17. And one of them is probably 14, 13, 14. So because they adopted them when they were older yeah i think the oldest one was 16 Which when they adopted really them really great that they did that because, oh yeah totally and i mean these are great it's kids it's so hard and for kids to be placed in homes after a certain age right it's basically sure. boring on impossible yeah i mean I, they had like an infant brother like a baby brother yeah. and i think he was already adopted yeah. so and yeah to also be able to stay together as brothers because honestly i think they really helped raise each other so they were yeah. able to be under the same roof now, so which was your great. dad mormon yeah so my father's mormon. Is your so, mom also mormon my father and my mother both converted and became well, Mormon um, before they had us. Yeah. Um, I think they, they were both were converts. It's yeah. So I mean, I think they converted together because they were probably both Catholic. I'm assuming yeah. I know my father was he's Italian. My mother's Puerto Rican, um, very Catholic kind yeah. of uh, ethnicities. So they they converted together and then had my sister and myself. When my parents divorced, my mom stopped attending and I don't really I don't know how into it she ever really was. Like I think of my mom not as an atheist like me, but more of like a secular humanist. Like, Just I don't think she believes. Like yeah. Don't think that much about it. Yeah. I don't think other. she thinks that much about it. I definitely don't think she what believes. Think attracted but... to them? Have you talked to this about, talk to them about this? Like what attracted them to the church? And well, this is, this is kind of my hypothesis. And I say this a lot about, um, converts to, to LDS. And, um, I'm not sure how much people listening really know about the LDS church, but 
it's it's got a lot of answers, which is why sometimes it gets kind of crazy because you know how I feel like in a lot of the traditional um, Christian denominations, there's a lot of like God works in mysterious ways mm-hmm. stuff. And so people mm-hmm. who I think think really concretely, my father is an engineer, my mother's a, an educator. Um, they, I think, get a little kind of turned off by the fact, well, how could God be, how could Jesus be God's son, but he's also the same yeah, dude? Yeah, listen, and, I'm smart and I'm analytical and I want to be able to think exactly. I like, don't want to be told not to ask questions yeah. and I don't want to be told that there are no answers. It's just, oh, God works in mysterious ways. The Trinity is, it's holy and, you know, you'll... This religion is so ancient. There's yeah. so much that's sort of like, maybe it's nebulous because it's, it's nebulous. ancient and it's been passed down through generations. And, and it's hard for people, I think, sometimes to have faith if, if they don't know what they have faith in and so it's it's funny because in a way what happens is once you start kind of concocting a, a mythology that is um really explicit you end up explicit and really like i mean i, I don't mean this is going to be this is a fine line to walk and i haven't talked that much about mormonism on the podcast because i haven't had anybody who really understands it from the perspective that i think you and i share mm-hmm. But because I love my family. Me too. I love my Mormon family. They're not, half of them are, half of them are. Mine Even too. within my mom's side of the family, there are definitely cousins like me who yeah. aren't practicing, who don't believe, and et cetera. But I don't ever want, I get really defensive about it when people who don't know anything about it at all are just like, they're crazy. Exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, it's really, it's hard for me because I feel a lot of frustration towards it. But it is sort of... I know this is going to be offensive and I know I have a couple of Mormon listeners and I want to apologize to you and we can have a, a, a dialogue about this online. I, you know, I respond to all the emails that you guys send me and, uh, and the comments and stuff, but it is a little bit like slapping a fresh coat of paint on Christianity. There's this, the, the, the bureaucracy to it and this idea that it becomes very tangible and very American mm-hmm. is beautiful. It's, it's accessible to yeah. looking for that kind of access to it's it. It's so easy to grasp. And what happens is if you want to know how could, you know, God and Jesus be the same person and blah, blah, blah. Well, in the Mormon faith, they're not. In the Mormon faith, they're two separate people. And so you see that a lot. And and eventually what happens is that you get these explicit answers to this dogma and you end up owning your own planet after you die. And so and there are still plenty of we don't have all the answers yet. But sure, they certainly that's true. maintain that they have a lot more answers yeah. than most religions. And it made sense to me when I was growing up. You know what I mean? J- for that very reason. Because you ask going, a question and they give you an church, answer. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, speaking of music, I did not enjoy going to church with my mom. I, I was forced to do it and I was very resentful about that. But I was also carrying off a lot of resentment towards her that I misplaced about the divorce because I was so little. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. I just thought it was her fault. Yeah. It totally wasn't at all. But <laughs> then you start to negatively associate everything about that parent and everything about that parent's Yeah, life. I totally had that with my dad. So, totally. So I was like, I hated going to church because it meant I was dragged away from my dad who was like drinking beer and watching football. See, and I was Sundays. the exact same, except my mom wasn't drinking beer and watching football, but my mom had me most of the time and she wasn't religious yeah. at this point. And my father, you know, g- going there every other weekend and and every sunday that's all i associated with my father my dad was church and i didn't like church you know it's like i tried i got baptized when i was eight i went through all the motions of course what are you going to say no exactly and that's the other thing that upsets you have to me please your parents I, don't, I did not believe i mean when i was eight i did not think this is the answer or i'm but what do you this idea that you're oh god i feel bad guys i really don't mean to shit on the mormon religion i really really don't one of my best friends is mormon mm-hmm. we can't talk about it with each other because we both get really mad at each other yeah it's um, tough. and i love my family and any of my family members who are listening to this know that i do not think you are a bad person or that you're wrong or anything like that i'm just talking about what works for me and according to the mormon religion i will probably go to hell because of course right, and you will too because yeah. we're we're uh, daughters of perdition. We've had the truth and we've rejected it. We've had the truth in our hands and accepted it and been baptized according to the Mormon church. Mm-hmm. And now we've rejected it. And so we are some of the worst sinners living on this terrestrial yeah. earth. Yeah, that's um, true. Which is a shame because I think I'm a pretty good person and I think you are too. But um, this idea that, you know, one of the reasons that they give about the Mormon church and the baptizing age is we don't believe that as a baby you have the ability to make the choice that you're ready to commit to this religion but by the time you're eight you know your own heart and head well enough that if you don't believe in this you should say you don't want to get baptized what eight-year-old is going to say listen mom and dad or listen mom or listen dad yep I'm not comfortable with this. Please don't baptize me. Exactly. Not, not zero. The because you, is zero. you know what happened when I was 14 and I said, dad, I'm not comfortable with this. I can't do this anymore. He told me 
as long as you are my daughter and you stay under my roof, I have a moral obligation to God to force you to go to church until you're 18, which put me in a very uncomfortable position. And ultimately I chose, because I was 14, we could have gone to court. I was old enough. I was definitely of an age of consent then. Ultimately, I chose not to come to his house anymore. And it was it was really tough. It put a huge wedge between us because it, he was giving me a choice between lying to myself and and it's not like, oh, just put in your hour on Sunday. Well, I put in my hour so that I could sing <laughs> because I loved singing. I love singing too. And there's so and many good songs. Do you yeah. remember all the good songs? Like his, I, I sang his hands and like something about like, um, oh God, like mountains move for the him or one, something. <laughs> the one that my grandmother made me sing and I sang it to her before she ultimately passed away very recently mm-hmm. um, was... Uh, I wonder when he comes again. I it's remember like that a, song. Like yeah, song. Yeah, I think she loved it. Um, Gosh, and I, I and they, yeah, they love Mormons love music. I mean, listen, there's a reason the Mormon tab- Tabernacle Choir does beautiful, They're amazing, beautiful, beautiful songs. And I was but, even called back. I remember, like, oh gosh, there's this one man who passed away of cancer, and like I had been close to his family, and he had requested that I sing at his funeral mm-hmm. before he died. And by then, I had already left the church, but his family still called me and said, you know, we really want you to sing. And so I would go back periodically, and it was a little it's such a weird vibe. It's a weird vibe because I'm wearing like a plaid skirt and like knee-high combat boots and like my hair's all spiky and crazy and I have like a piercing in my eyebrow and I'm walking back into this Mormon church where I'm not sure I'll be accepted to to get up on the pulpit and sing and as much as like I'm getting kind of weird looks I think as soon as you you get really into the song and whether I believed the words that I was singing or not one of my favorite types of music is sacred music and I'm an atheist you know what I mean but like all of the good choral stuff that I learned like Mozart and it's right him and gospel please gospel music is like I was talking about this with a vet Nicole Brown from community because like no regardless of what you believe I mean I think it's like being in a beautiful for like to me Stanley Park and gospel music are like they yes that makes sense to me those are church like yeah. a beautiful forest that's church that gives that that fills me with whatever the holy spirit is that other people experience and i feel that way listening to gospel music not because i believe that god is speaking through gospel music necessarily although maybe i'm wrong yeah but um but because that the richness of our human ability to create that sound first of all at all and i mean it's it is thrilling it's thrilling and it's moving and and uh that doesn't mean i you know can I say, like, did you have the same experience that I had where um, it took me, I think, as long as it did to, to pull away because the the last, you know, I would ask myself, is this real? I would, I would try to convince myself that I believed and try to convince myself well, that it was real. Meeting, you see you, these people get up. Exactly. I would cry during testimony meeting when people would get up and give their testimonies. I would cry. Not because I felt what they were feeling, but because I was so moved by what they were clearly feeling. And so you have this experience where you go and then you hear the music and you get to sing the music the whole time and you get the goosebumps. And and, and other people talk about how that's like Jesus or that's God like moving through you. And you're like, maybe that's what I'm doing. And then you realize, no, I just really love this music. Sure. And yeah, I I totally had that experience. And and I think that kept me going for a while. Um, But then then there was a point. I was 17 because I could but my mom yeah. was really really upset and we didn't yeah. speak for a while yeah well, i didn't speak with my father she came for around many years it was really hard and it's still tense you know what i mean it's like i love my parents and i love um all my brothers and sisters some of them still are in the church some aren't um but there is kind of a you know now I, i'm actually at a, at a place where my father and i can kind of talk about this in in a meaningful way but at the same time i think what it what comes down to it, and I, i've mentioned this before in other interviews is that there's a feeling kind of of like as much as he loves me and he cares about me and he respects me, I can't get past the fact that he's always going to feel sorry for me. I know my grandmother was profoundly sad. Yeah. About. And it's, and it's coming from like a a real place for him because in his mind, I'm going to hell. You know what I mean? In his mind, like this is the true way. And like, I'm not, I, I, like you said, I'm like a daughter of perdition and like, I'm, I'm, I'm not in it. And I remember, Oh God, I remember, getting the it clicking in my mind when my father and this might get really esoteric so i'll only talk about it for like 10 more seconds but 
there's a lot of weird structure in the Mormon church about heaven. Like it's not just one heaven. There's like different heavens. There's a celestial Terrestrial, kingdom, terrestrial, celestial, celestial. celestial. And so if you go to the celestial kingdom, if you get married in the temple, if you keep up all of your covenants, um, you know, my father and my, uh, my mother had gotten married in temple. Then they got divorced. My father remarried a Mormon woman. They got sealed. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm sealed guys means you can be sealed in a temple which means that you get to be with someone forever and that's what it's that's one of the very attractive things one Mm -hmm. of the many very attractive beautiful fairy tale like things about the Mormon religion again I guess I'm saying that it's a myth if I'm Mm -hmm. using the words fairy tale but it's it's lovely this idea that you know you you hear the construct of a wedding vow as to until death do us part and the Mormons one up it they put Mm -hmm. the fresh coat of paint on it and they say why listen if you believe in an afterlife why should you have to say goodbye at death do part you can be with your loved one forever you can spend an eternity loving each other and and honoring each other in yeah. that way and, and like, your family too great sentiment exactly your kids too and there's like a whole song so, yeah. about it like so families can you. be together yeah, forever. forever yeah <laughs> um <laughs> that i got chills but not necessarily in the same way <laughs> yeah exactly that wasn't one of the more beautiful songs uh, but um but yeah so so i remember coming to this realization that wait my dad and his new wife are going to be in the celestial kingdom with me and my mom's going to be what like in the terrestrial kingdom and like and, and, and there's like my dad is like oh yeah i converted for your mom he's an a- it's all bullshit yeah so he's like an outer it's darkness up, like, at this thing about it and he had himself excommunicated and my dad it took him like two years to get excommunicated it's hard they don't to do, let you go it? they don't want to let you go Which, again it's like I I, i'm still that. on the I'm list afraid. i'm on the list too yeah i, I like just don't I want don't them to time. find me it's, i don't want you have it's to like write a letter and it's like have multiple interviews it's crazy i don't know it's almost like when an insurance company isn't paying you for your claim it's like they find all these different things to postpone postpone mm-hmm. postpone and finally he got it done Ugh, it's crazy yeah so so it's like that realization where you're like wait this is a structure that's going to allow me to spend eternity with my father and this woman who i like it don't even you know and and my mom and the whole thing too about like if i live in the celestial kingdom i can go visit her anytime i want but she can't come visit me like yeah. i was There's just a like lot this of is getting crazy yeah there are it's very complicated it's very complicated really thought it through and i remember just thinking like there's something fundamentally immoral about separating a daughter from her mother who she cares about just because the mom doesn't believe. And then I realized, I don't think I believe in this. And the cool thing is my mom never pushed me in that way, ever. She was very hands-off with that. She knew how important it was to my father. I really came to it on my own. And I actually came to it separately from the science. People ask me that all the time. They're like, so you're an atheist. Does your science um, reinforce that? Or does the atheism reinforce the science? And now I think there's a feedback loop with that. But when I was young, I was afraid of science i was not a 14 year old scientist by any stretch um i, I hadn't started well, like you said it came to you know obviously you were into academia but you mm-hmm. your I, focus even in college you shifted you exactly know? i was i think i was always a thinker i think i always was concerned about finding truth and i was concerned about applying kind of logic and reason and evidence to things but not in any sort of formal way because i didn't really understand the scientific method so uh, i just think that maybe that's the type of person that I am that I would gravitate towards scientific thought and towards atheism, but I don't think either one informed either um, yeah. decision. Is it was your sister? What's your sister like? My sister is. Um, it's funny. My sister, I love her to death, and if you ever saw us standing in proximity to one another, you would never guess that we're related, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, she struggled um, with a lot of things in this world that I haven't had to struggle with. And uh, that fills me with a lot of guilt, but it also um, makes me really proud of her. She's my older sister. um, And, but I went through a lot of things before she did or just something she didn't go through. Um, She went to Rick's. So she got an associate's degree. She stayed in the church. She's still in the church now. But I have to say that there's something kind of she has kind of a cool like, like liberal, like without even knowing it, she has like a cool kind of liberal vibe in her. So I've definitely heard her say things or seen her do things that I'm like, "Mm, very surprised by this from a Mormon. But at the same time, it makes me think, hey, you're like an independent thinker. And and I really like that. But she still stays true to it. She I think she is a true believer. And I think that um, she, you know, respects and loves the religion. And I think it does a lot for her Mm -hmm. um, socially. So I'm huge. The community. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like what we talked about earlier is there's that sense of I envy that I envy that you have to have the faith 
to to stand behind you know you have to you do have to have that foundational faith or the church won't really work for you in the kind of community way that you might want it to um but it is a it's a it's a lovely network of people who support each other and it can seem very exclusive because it is to people on the outside but I could tell you when you're in it, it's, you know, even if you don't believe it, like I was always the weird, the weird one Mm -hmm. and the sort of funny one and the one who was asking the tough questions in class, like, why is my dad going to hell, everyone? Yeah. Uh, And I was coming in with my dyed hair and stuff. And I was coming in in with like a hickey on my neck. And like, I was having sex. (laughs) I was sort of in love with one of, with my best, best friend who was Mormon and kind of trying to like bring him over to my side and, you know, that's tough. Oh, do you remember? Oh, can I just say, do you, um, I know I'm interrupting, but those, those, um, those meetings that you would have before you would get your temple recommend to go do. I didn't even get close to a temple recommend. Not even close. You never did baptisms Nothing. for the dead or never anything? did baptisms. I've never set foot in a temple other than like the visiting room at the Salt Lake temple with my, with my family when they wanted to go. There. So yeah, I've and done baptisms for the thread? dead. Did you read the Reddit thread? No. That was, oh my God. I have to send you that. A- okay. A- a- <laughs> there was a Reddit thread uh, a couple weeks ago that Hardwick sent me actually. Mm-hmm. That was um, an AMA and asked me anything for a, a, a closeted atheist Mormon guy who I think was like 20. Wow. Who had served a mission and he, it was an ask me anything and then and then some other closeted atheists chimed in and so there was this amazing dialogue where all of these people were asking all these questions and if he didn't have the answer somebody else yeah. would say i have the answer and um and he talked a ton about his experience all of that stuff and really unloaded i mean it's fascinating yeah i have to read that that's amazing Even i mean the stuff you already know it's so like and you do because well, people so don't talk about you, the church that much there's so many things you it's don't know it's like scientology know. in that way that yes. people are it's very hush hush and they've done an amazing job of concealing information and it's not like the catholic church everybody knows the rhetoric of a yeah. catholic mass to some degree people know that you get on your knees and you stand up again you get on your knees. people know what the whole we've seen it in films we've seen catholic rites in yeah. so many films you do not see i didn't know meeting. yeah i don't know that, that we end up what that god lives on the planet kolob i didn't know that until either. i saw it on real time yep you know what i mean i'm like how does how do, bill how do you know more about milk my you know meat. it's crazy milk, yeah the expression milk before meat which is more totally. missionaries yeah, give, yeah, yeah. You, give you the milk give you like the easy answers mm-hmm. before things and also as really a woman too i don't think you you are exposed nearly to the same things that that men are because men get the priesthood men have right. totally different youth groups they are they're learning like hardcore um dogma and and like doing manly things and getting garments and, stuff and getting garments before and we're like yeah. baking cookies and, and stuff making quilts, yeah honestly. yeah there is that whole thing too but um but yeah what were we just talking about I, that's the, <laughs> oh yeah the baptisms the for the dead oh, they were yeah. crazy but before that you have to go and you talk to your bishop and they do a temple recommend meeting and you sit and they ask you so many invasive questions and i remember it'd be like i never do you masturbate? had a meeting with a bishop it was I so never crazy i had so many they like, asked if you masturbate oh yeah do you masturbate and you're like <clears throat> no um, <laughs> it's like what do you do you lie like you of can't not lie. lie and then you feel guilty about it i mean i wonder if i would have lied i don't even know I, i've been a terrible liar for so long i'm such a bad liar possible. too i might have been like no like i prom- sure i think that's so how i was too i mean so but it's like what can you do because or i would have like snapped because i snap a lot and mm-hmm. I, my, my my ability to censor myself snaps at the worst times so we are like i probably would have been like yeah forever i've always done it i'll never stop <laughs> yeah. oh, God, what did i just say oh god i just said god in front of you i'm sorry i'm not supposed to say god oh shit oh, yeah, okay <laughs> Like it really could have derailed so easily. Yeah, the bishop's oh. intimidating. Oh my! God. And he takes ten percent of your money. We had kind of a sexy bishop. Did you? Who, by the way, his wife ended up leaving him for a missionary. <gasps> there was some. That was after I stopped going Scandal. to church, though. I was so like, why wasn't I still going to church when this happened? <laughs> I would have loved to have seen how uncomfortable everyone was. Oh wow, that oh, sounds it's like a whole thing. That sounds like like one of those novels on and like the like Deserte like bookstore ripper. Yeah, <laughs> hot. Hot bishop guy, like, and then hot missionaries like carrying wife away. Yeah, like even those words guy. like bishop and missionary are kind yeah. of. Like... That's where the Catholicism. That's sort of sexy. Totally. Did you ever have this? I can't now. We're really just dishing into it. This is going to be all about Mormonism. <laughs> Did you have any like weird like seduce a missionary fantasies or anything like that? No, you know because too, I, you were gone. I was too young. I, I I left when I was fourteen, but I did have. So did you go to seminary? I went to seminary twice. Okay, I went to seminary every freaking day. I for believe you did that. Did you have to get up early to go do that? Yeah, it was a Number 6 one, I hated mornings, and I would like skip first period all the time anyway, so there was no chance I was, I was getting up even earlier to go to seminary. Forced to go. 
forced to go. In I that- find a seminary. I found the concept of seminary to be one of the most depressing things. So depressing. About church I could possibly imagine. And I hated it. So depressing. And, and I so I lived with my mother, but my father ensured that i went to seminary which means he picked me up every morning guys seminary just so you know i, I don't know it's how church many things, school however many <laughs> things we've been throwing out there that we expect other people to know what we're talking about just know we're we are basically speaking in a secret language right now. <laughs> not just a mormon language but a lapsed mormon language yeah lapsed is, mormon that's so I, true i'm like high from this right now <laughs> i can't even tell you um but seminary yeah you go to seminary before you go to your regular classes so just imagine a, a necessary like bible study book of mormony kind mm-hmm. of class in the early morning before even your first period and not at school at not the at church. school at the church so so it's like it, it was from six until six forty-five. Oh, i know and a oh. lot of a lot of people didn't start school until like eight i think but i had cheerleading before oh school so God, i'm showing up to say everybody else is in their pajamas you and must i have been exhausted it was awful yeah it was awful I, everybody else is in their pajamas i'm like in my cheerleading uniform oh. in seminary learning about the book of mormon and it, the the one redeeming thing about it was that i um I got like my learner's permit when I was kind of young. I think I was like 14 when I got my learner's permit. Is that like a Texas thing? That you I don't know. Yeah. It was like a hardship you, you license. To drive a yeah, exactly. I'm, sorry, <laughs> I'm legitimately asking, but I sounded snarky. There are a lot of tractors in Texas. I mean, yeah. Um, but okay, so you got your learner's yeah, permit. Yeah. So, so I would like my dad, or maybe I didn't have it. I don't remember, but my dad would let me drive because there's no one on the road. Yeah. And so it was like, I got to, well, that's practice a, driving at least something which was kind of cool i guess but other than that i remember there were two boys in my seminary who were always in their pjs and they would just sleep they would just like <laughs> lie the chairs out and so everybody was asleep i don't know how the seminary teachers that's, could handle us because yeah. they just were like and today and first yeah, nephi and we're all super like, tired too. i know it was ridiculous oh. and i was always in my little cheerleading uniform like mm, yeah, maybe i can get him to like me oh. I, I just crushed on these boys because there's some pretty mormon guys. i know healthy listen pretty, again pretty. going back to like the the pluses mm. it's 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 listen it's smart not to drink a lot of alcohol i guess it's you, you can certainly have alcohol i mean in in regular life non-mormon life but you know like, what's weird you is look that at all of those tenants i don't really drink like, i don't drink I, at all I mean, I don't Is really, that weird? it doesn't do for me what it does for other people. I wish it did, but it doesn't. I don't so, like, I, and I don't smoke cigarettes because I know it's bad for me. Like when I look yeah, at Yeah, like I quit smoking. Of, I'm like very. The principles of the idea of treating your body like a temple. Mm-hmm. The question is, what does that mean to you? Like in your case, it, it could mean that you, you know, uh, ornament your body with beautiful tattoos or with piercings. It doesn't. That's not abusing your body. I'm exactly. Sure like that. Believe that it is. But in your. But, but to your me, it's like my temple is it, awesome. It's your temple. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just a little bit of decoration, but like the idea of you know, don't smoke cigarettes, don't drink coffee, like all of those things. Yeah, they're not great for you. Guess what? Coffee's not good for you. Exactly. You can have it. Have it to your heart's content. Yeah. You know what's funny is I feel like, I mean, to a T, the South Park episode of mormonism where it's like a parallel episode where you've got the lore and you've got the mythology and it's snarky and it's really cynical sure but i feel that you know and the whole time i'm watching that side of it and they even have the little like song in the background like joseph something something dum dum you know and you're like yeah Yeah. um and so so you're watching that and you're feeling it but then there's the whole second parallel story of i think it's like stan and the mormon family that moves in next door and stan becomes friends with them and they're like the nicest people and they invite him over to play games and he's like mom and dad why don't we do this in our family and and it's true like they're really nice and they're not crazy and i like by the the way the idea there's something really comforting and i'm almost i don't want to bake cookies and make quilts but first of all there is something appealing about like oh i i I just get to relax (laughs) i could never be happy doing that but but also this idea i've said it before about monogamy i'm not sure that monogamy is the answer and i'm not sure that that's that that's something that i am desperate to have is this long-term marriage but i do envy in at least in some way the the idea that you just don't once you make that decision the idea that you could actually have the agreement with yourself or your spouse if you're honest about it and mm-hmm. if you're really doing it and committed to it and you're not living a lie yeah that you're done totally like i'm done i'm done with that i don't have I to worry about it anymore i am done i don't get i'm not gonna get divorced i'm not gonna like whatever problems we have together we are solving them because we know that we're both committed in a very real way yeah. foundationally to being each other's partner and again i'm not saying that's the right road for me but that doesn't mean that i don't look at that with some envy and go oh my god you just removed that huge burden that our generation Mm -hmm. you know that that everybody not just our generation but everybody around us is constantly double 
double get you know doubling back on themselves you know second guessing things going oh could it be better could i have better could i have better could i have easier could i have simpler I was Instead just, of just going, listen, this is a person I love and respect, and it's not always going to look like this. Sometimes it's going to look like this. Sometimes it's going to look like that. But I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I was just um, texting with a friend, actually, earlier today, weirdly, about, you know, and, and he was saying, like, how do you feel about marriage? Um, and because I'm, like, up and down about it a lot. And, I mean, I think the most honest answer that I could give to that question is it scares the shit out of me, but not having a committed partner kind of scares the shit out of me more. Like they're both scary. They're both you know what really I mean? Scary. And, and yeah, there is something about they're kind both of really scary. And you question is one of them quote unquote, right. Exactly. One of them wrong or one of them right for me. And, and I think the thing wrong. is I, I am un, unafraid to admit that I am an extremely insecure person. And there's something about having a partner who is like unwavering in their commitment mm-hmm. that makes you feel more secure like because i like i'm tough i am really difficult to date i know this i have scared away many men um i need a lot you know i'm very needy i um am very emotional um i struggle with depression i take antidepressants i have that whole thing which i've been really open about in the past um i'm very opinionated i am a problem solver which means i look for problems that aren't even there um (laughs) (laughs) which is tough yeah um And and the truth is, I I I need a lot of feedback. I kind of have like the Lisa Simpson syndrome, where it's mm-hmm. like, did I do well? Some would Am say, okay? you should be a lesbian. Yeah, that's probably true. Because but you know what? I did date girls. My, I dated girls for a while. In my experience with women, it's it becomes too much. But it's very it's, it's a little much too much. More of that. It's a take the good with the bad, though. Exactly. Like, there's so much bad that goes along with it, but there's so much good that goes along with that. What's too. so weird about me is that, like, if if I'm going to be completely honest, I am way more sexually attracted to women. I'm way more intellectually attracted to men. Like, all of my best friends are guys. Um, when I was dating women, I found myself kind of objectifying them more than I would have liked to. And I do find that the deepest relationships that I've been able to be in have been with men. Um, but definitely the most, I think, sexual relationships I've been in have been with women. So it's like frustrating. It's like, how do I get a twofer? I know. <laughs> I mean, do you think that that's, when you look at that in terms of talking about nature versus nurture and talking about the way that we're socialized and stuff, do you think that you can point to social conventions or lack thereof that influence you in that way? Or do you feel like that's something that was absolutely genetic that's just you've seen it from the beginning. You know, it's really hard to say. And I'm, I'm wondering too, Not that if, it has to be one or the other. Of course. I, I it's probably some, somewhat both. I mean, I definitely think that there's a lot of like ingrained for me, um, kind of like need and want to be with, um, a man. Like I do definitely like the idea of feeling like safe and protected, um, and having like big arms around me. But at the same time, you know, if you look at across the animal kingdom and it's actually kind of swapped in, in humans um, as opposed to maybe like birds, for example, where a lot of times the females of the, of the group are kind of like drab and the men have these big, beautiful displays. But when you look at, um, at, at human beings, women are sexier than men. Like, let's be real about like, like I'm going to get graphic here, but like, let's, what looks better? Like, Agreed. A great rack or like a penis. Like, I don't, you know. Everyone knows that straight men acknowledge that all the time. Exactly. Like, and so it's like girls are hotter. You know what I mean? And so I, I would try and I have my taste and my types just like everybody else does. Um, and I would try to date girls and maybe I never kind of met the right girl. I don't know. But there there was always kind of something missing with it was like there's too much estrogen. And I'm kind of a tomboy too. And I liked girls that were kind of tomboys. Um, oh, that's interesting. So I was going to ask you if you felt like you took on the sort of male, like if, like if being attracted to women turned on the more male part. Of I don't you think so. I mean, I really like, think. When I think of what girls I think are are really attractive. And mm-hmm. I think about it. I think I'm not necessarily attracted to tomboy. Although I don't I'm know. really like. Here's the thing. I'm really attracted to girls that are like beautiful. You know, like like freckly, like long hair, but like flat chested, athletic, um, like 
girls that are really beautiful and and feminine in their features but that like don't that aren't, aren't girly up, that aren't, aren't playing them up exactly the exactly i don't yeah. need a girl who wears makeup but i definitely don't like a girl who like tries to look like by a the dude. way i'm sitting here with fuchsia lipstick. i love it it's going to be more uh, whereas i'm wearing um, last night's eye makeup fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> um so so yeah i mean i i just i like girls that are I like androgyny. I think that's what it is. So it's not so, and I yeah, I think it's and, the same and thing where too. the androgyny happens can be in different ways. And I think that's very sexy in both men and women. Like it's exciting to find out what's androgynous about someone mm-hmm. that like, like somebody could be very put together and very made up, but then their vibe is super masculine. I'm speaking specifically of a woman. If their vibe is masculine, suddenly that's that androgyny is yeah. hot. Or a really feminine behaving girl who isn't wearing any makeup, exactly. who's totally not conscious of that. It's so exciting to see the ways that those things manifest. And yeah. I think that can be true with men too. With like, men, definitely. It's not know, it's why not so some much... women are attracted to gay men versus why someone are attracted to oh, so straight many. men who are very sweet and sensitive, but who are very oafish in their appearance because we like that blend in some way. Yeah, I've had both with, with men. You know, it's like with, with men, with women, um, I'm definitely not into women who are like butch, you know, if I could use that term. Um, I don't like women who look like men. I like women who look like women, but who maybe carry themselves more like dudes. I I like a girl in a suit. Oh, like a girl with a tie, you know, a girl with like really short kind of cute hair that's like in her eyes or whatever. Um, But with men, I've dated totally different types like I, i've dated guys who are so attracted who are like super metrosexual yeah. like just really put together clean maybe covered in tattoos but like really boyish kind of faces and then i've dated super manly men who have like a really sweet spot inside of them you know what i mean and and i've dated some just jocks like yeah. just some hardcore dudes which is always a little weird for me it's like mm, learning yeah. learning oh, how yeah, to get yeah. through that I, um, did, I dated a bisexual guy in san francisco who wore makeup better than i I did yeah and I just thought that was like the hottest thing in the world for a period of time and then at some point I was like this is not uh, yeah something. and not that that was the reason but it was like there was so much there was so much going on that was confusing that it became like this is oh this I is the, see this is the perfect time in my life for me to do this <laughs> I will probably never do this again yeah I mean the first boy I loved and I mean loved and I was 16 and he was 16 and he had dropped out of school and I had already graduated from school and we both thought that we were so grown up and he was just covered in tattoos head to toe his ears were stretched out to an inch and he wore like eyeliner and black nail polish and oh my god it turned me on so much i mean much. i'm so excited that we get to be a part of this and that it's happening even more and developing even more i'm so excited that we get to be a part of this life where that stuff is just available and there and you can be that person and somebody else can be that person to think about i mean obviously we wouldn't be the people that we are in the 1950s but to look oh, and, and to look at an old like to look at my dad's old high school yearbook i cannot tell one person apart from the next right by and large and it's like you had to have this real streak in you i remember my grandfather passed away it's like 10 years ago now maybe a little over 10 years ago actually over 10 years ago i think um and Maybe it was eight years. God, I don't know. Um, I've and it becomes so bad. At <laughs> yeah, it's way. so it's difficult. Um, and I went to his funeral, and then there was a little kind of gathering after his funeral where a bunch of people came to pay their respects. It was like a hardcore Catholic funeral um, with like the death shroud, and oh, so difficult. And like, I've never ugh, been to anything it was like intense. That. Like the boys were the pallbearers, and then the girls. Um, there's like a crocheted kind of shroudy thing that you put over the coffin and it's like our job to unfold it and lay it over the and I had avoided going up for a long time because I didn't take the sacrament or is that what they call it in the Catholic Church yeah it's like you cross your arms you know that's like a trick if you're in a Catholic Church and they have you line up if you just cross your arms across your chest the priest will bless your forehead but he won't give you the wine and the thing so yeah um, yeah my cousin taught me that Uh, (laughs) but I remember doing all that but then after there was this little thing at, I think, like the Knights of Columbus or like one of these groups that he was a part of. And we were all hanging out kind of in this like mess hall. And the coolest people are showing up to to my grandpa's gathering. There's this guy, I swear to God, like covered head to toe 
in like amazing pinup girl and like anchor tattoos wearing wingtip shoes buddy holly glasses he's like 90 years old and like a lounger like that was his style yeah you know what i mean like he was a 50s rockabilly kind of greaser and just held on to it his whole life and so all these people now that are so retro like he's who they're trying to look like original man amazing i was like that's so cool and the truth is I love that 50s style. Mm, you know, I've too. got a lot of that stuff in my closet and it's super cool, but I like it because it's an option. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. want to be forced yeah, to, be to wear like a circle skirt this, every day. This. Oh. Exactly. Can you imagine wearing heels I can't even, every day? I can't wrap my head around. I spend most of my time downstairs figuring out how I'm going to keep on the bike pants that I wore to get here to incorporate them into an outfit yeah. because I am too lazy to put on a regular pair of pants. No, I know. imagine if yeah. I had to wear like a little, uh, like a sweater clip across my cardigan and like my <laughs> bra underneath. And the, 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 oh, and like the, the cone bras. And the bras and, yeah. And the crinoline of the skirt. I mean, oh, it's God. what a to do. What a to do. And like for me, it's like, I hate wearing makeup. The makeup artist here, every I get a lecture from her every time I go on HuffPost Live. It's like, what did you do, Kara? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't want to wear makeup. And that's my you rule are now. one of those faces that just doesn't need a stitch. Oh, you know, I just oh, don't. You, do, you absolutely don't need a stitch. But I just, Some I can't. Some people's faces look, no, I don't want to say they look better because that sounds horrible and, and very unfeminist that anybody could. But some people's faces, I get, this is what my old makeup artist used to say on Dinner in a Movie. Some people's faces take makeup better. I could see that. And that just That's a nice that way. Whatever it is, yeah. it means like, you know, you, that you have the, that like, almost like it's a, 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 a good trait instead of about like, oh, mm-hmm. you need makeup. Nobody needs makeup. No, some, I don't think some so Some faces can take it better and, and look better with stuff enhanced and some faces don't. Some faces, for whatever reason, it ends up like, some there are some beautiful friends of mine that when they put on makeup they look almost mannish to me yeah and like they might look different like too different feminine without makeup so you never know i like bare minimum i like looking like i'm not wearing makeup but it, it it is um it's funny when people tell me like how do you do that like I need makeup I couldn't leave the house without foundation and I'm like that's why you can't leave the house without foundation I guess that's true <laughs> you, you, know? find like, you find out if you're gonna you just make the decision to be the person who does or the person who doesn't and if you don't more often you'll need it less you know yeah. what I mean like yeah. I I won't even wear I'll wear concealer you know yeah, I wear concealer too. like it's under like, my eyes and stuff smooth out the edges exactly but I don't wear foundation it, about it. like even when I'm on air I don't it, let we'll them put foundation on me listen I yeah. have a giant set guys I'm just gonna come out with this right now because I'm very honest on the, on the podcast, <laughs> but I've had a zit on my cheek that I've been painting a brown eyeliner dot on because I'm like I might as well make it look like one of my many moles on my face because it is so clearly a zit and the way that that studio is lit and the how close up I'm shot every flaw yeah. every flaw I have had gotta to love throw that. my vanity out the window or I would quit this job <laughs> for how I look online it is disgusting how I look it's the worst I've ever looked ever anywhere but um but it's because it's they're putting all this foundation on me because you know you kind of need it for the exactly what i just described but now it's making me break out because my skin's like yeah what is this I'm like no thank you uh, no yeah, thank yeah, you yeah, i, I just you know but makeup artists hate me because i'm always like like batting them off i'm like stop Ugh, i don't like it don't touch me yeah yeah i'm always jealous of guys i don't all they need yeah. is like the powder i know they just get a little powder get a little powder a little this is making me want to revolt it. against my own insecurities about that's the hard part, that isn't it? Because we do it to ourselves. Run. I know. I know. I made the choice. All right. I got to go back downstairs and continue working. Uh, we were going <laughs> to split this into two halves, but there was no way I was interrupting this. So now I'm just, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to speak to um, Bill Clinton's post, post-presidency. Uh, <laughs> Good some, luck with that. Yeah. With some grace, even though I didn't prepare for it. Yeah. I need, um, to, I need to write a, a script now about how, how we define life. Oh, so that's a small undertaking. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kara, this was awesome. I love that we both just stood up, but we're still recording. Me we are too. both now standing uncomfortably with microphones in our hands. <laughs> Hello to everyone out there. And um, guys, thank you so much for, for tuning in and uh, let us know what you think. Bye. As always, the JV Club theme song is Before We Were Brittle, courtesy of the amazing Say Hi. 
Now leaving Nerdist.com.